Welcome to another episode of Tigers SRD here on SportsRadioDetroit.com and the Tiger Minor League Report, powered by the Overtime Media Network. I'm Roger Castillo alongside me, Chris Brown, and we're going to kick things off. We're going to do the second part of the show, the usual stu- uh, usual segments, the good, bad, and ugly inside mm-hmm. numbers, but uh, we want to offer in a special guest, and this is the first time we've a- we're having him on the show. His name is Mike Bauer. He's a writer at the St. Louis Bullpen, and he's the host of the Cardinals Overtime Show, and... One of the interesting things, and he's a graduate of one of the best journalism schools out there, Missouri, which, by the way, has a really good television station. It was something that, uh, growing up, Mike, that as a journalism student, as a communication student, something to, from afar, pretty impressive work over there. Oh, yeah, we're very proud of it. It's. Uh, it, I always joke that you have an unofficial contract as a Mizzou grad that when you tell somebody you went to Mizzou, you say, did you know we have a good journalism school? And so <laughs> I, every time I meet somebody, I make sure to tell them, yeah, J-School grad, it's, it's like the Mizzou Northwestern thing. But J-School trash talk takes no prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, proper respect for that. But, uh, yeah. So, so our first question we always ask all our guests, and Chris usually asks, uh, but Chris has given me the honors to let me do this for the first time. So first of all, thanks, Chris, for letting me uh, – Ask this question. Mm-hmm. What is your first baseball memory? What's your, what's your favorite first baseball memory? Oh, I, I remember it well. So my dad is actually a Cincinnati Reds fan. He, he's, he's from Ohio, and he grew up watching the Big Red Machine with uh, Tony Perez, Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, Sparky Anderson, actually. And the first baseball game he took me to was this would have been – in 1998 and it was the reds and the st louis cardinals at the old bush stadium and that was right in the summer of the home run chase between mark mcguire and sammy sosa and if you were a little kid in st louis who liked baseball mark mcguire was larger than life i i played first base because of him i wore number 25 because of him i I tried to imitate his batting stance as best i could and the first game that i saw in person was Mark McGuire against the Reds, and the first at-bat he took, he just crushed a fastball over the left field fence in Bush Stadium for home run number 60 in the season that he hit 70 home runs. And I was I was six years old at the time, and for, for me, it was like I had just watched Superman like swoop down from the sky and save the day. I, I just could not believe that I had witnessed Mark McGuire do that in person. And I mean, we can say what you will about the PEDs and the steroid stuff that came out later, but Mark McGuire will always be the player that got me to love baseball. And that's just one of many great memories I have of spending the uh, summer afternoon at the ballpark with my dad. And I, I still think about it all the time. So it's, you, you really, you can't put a price on moments like that. So I'll always, that always sticks out to me. That's awesome. You know, I, I had like a, a different uh, experience with that same season. That was so I'm much older than you. That was my senior year at high school. Um, and I remember going down to Tiger Stadium at the time to see mm-hmm. Sammy Sosa break. He broke the record for most home runs in a month uh, at the game I was at, which was, was kind of cool. That was a, It was a wild summer. Got a lot of people back into baseball. I don't know, as a young kid, how you deal with the stuff that came out after that with McGuire. But. <laughs> it was tough. And I for the longest time, I, I didn't want to accept it. But. As I got older, I, I kind of had the same realization that Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, even though we might have, you know, a separate discussion about whether or not PEDs are ethical or if they aren't, they basically saved baseball. And they got a whole generation of fans that are my age, whether they were in 
St. Louis or Chicago, anywhere in the country, they got people interested in baseball because everybody had a horse in that race. So I'll always have fond memories of that summer. Yeah, my, my, yeah very cool. My, my fond memory of 1998 for the Tigers really is the, the, the arrival of Luis Gonzalez because I didn't really know too much about him when the Tigers signed him. And the right field porch paid dividends for him pretty quickly. But that was also a, a team that was kind of in turmoil because Buddy Bell, the Buddy Bell era ended pretty quickly, and they went right to the they, Larry. Yeah, it was Larry Parrish that took over, and so that was a it, it was a, the first of three. I think it was three straight ninety loss seasons. But uh, no, that ninety eight team. What I liked about the Cardinals team, like what I always, and we'll get to you know, I, I might as well start my my love for the Cardinal, the Cardinal way, the. But that '98 team and some of those teams that did the the balance all around, they always had like a, a rotation that was, you know, that rotation I think was led by Kent Merker. I think I want to say Merker was their like that their I want to say quote unquote ace. But uh, Delano the Shields, who was one of my favorite expos, ended up being going over there, and it was one of the last seasons I believe for Willie McGee too. And Willie McGee growing up was one of the first baseball cards I had, and I remember him with that just. A sleepy look on his face, but just remember he was just always putting up crazy, <laughs> crazy stats. And, uh, yeah, that was, I think, yeah, it was one of those last seasons uh, before he retired. But uh, he was part of those great Cardinals teams, that 82 team and the 87 team that lost to the Twins. Yeah, they, they had they were always really well-rounded teams. I, I remember Donovan Osborne was there. They had Ray Langford was the star, star of the Cardinals in the 90s before mm-hmm. McGuire came along. Uh, they actually... Later on, they had a young Mike Matheny behind the plate. And that, I think that was my first I'm-getting-old experience with seeing Mike Matheny become the manager of the Cardinals years later. But <laughs> even when the Cardinals weren't necessarily a playoff team, you, you always knew that they were fundamentally sound, well-rounded. They didn't have a lot of glaring weaknesses. And, I mean, it's, it's kind of a cliche, but they really did play the game the right way a lot of time. They were clean baseball, exciting to watch. And when you're a kid who's just learning the rules of the sport, to have a team like that that is always, you know, that fundamentally sound and that focused, it's it's good for your development. It's good for your love for the sport. And I, it, there was a whole generation of kids growing up in St. Louis that got to love baseball by watching, you know, the Maguires, the Langfords, and like you said, the Willie McGee's of the world. So it's the, the baseball culture in St. Louis. It's it's really something to behold. Oh, absolutely. And every person I've ever went to a game down there has spoken really highly of the fans. But the fans maybe not be really happy with the team right now and, and kind of leads into what we wanted to talk to you about, which was a trade deadline. And you and I were talking right before Chris jumped on about what Chris and I were talking about, the good, bad, and ugly, how the Cardinals were kind of a disappointment in terms of, not kind of, they were a disappointment by not making a move. And so far with the season, is it you, and you said this on your podcast, too, they crawled their, and, and scrapped their way into first place and did not make a move except for Jed, uh, Jericho to the Dodgers. Mike, what is the vibe right now in terms of here you are in, in a very the Cubs went out and got Nick Nicholas Castellanos from the Tigers of course they got some bullpen pieces they signed a they just signed a catcher today I believe they signed uh was it Jonathan Lucroy I believe Lucroy yeah yeah so you guys are three and a half back you, the Cardinals are three and a half back right now they're and their last they're two and eight in their last ten is it just lost just why did they not make a move is it just what you said simply just making money and being content, or was, was there a little more to it? Well, I, I think it's a couple, of, a combination of a couple things. Uh, th- they didn't add a starter at the deadline despite being in first place. That was 
their that was their glaring need, and it was all the more frustrating because there was a whole myriad of starters to be had at the deadline. But th- there were a couple things here. Uh, number one, they felt like they seemed to feel like the price was too high for those. They they didn't want to give up their top one of their top two prospects and Nolan Gorman or Dylan Carlson, and I'll talk about more of those a little bit later. And from that angle, it's kind of understandable because those are two stud prospects. But the other thing here is. I think they kind of overvalue and overrate their own pitchers because even before the deadline, the starting rotation for this Cardinals team has been a problem going back into spring training. They had an opportunity to get Patrick Corbin in free agency. They didn't do it. They had an opportunity to sign Dallas Keuchel well into the regular season, and they didn't do it. They could have taken a flyer on Gio Gonzalez, and they didn't do it, and now you're rolling with Adam Wainwright, who is in his upper 30s in age as your number three starter. And if as much as I love Adam Wainwright and everything that he's done for this franchise, if Adam Wainwright in his current form is your number three starter, you've got problems. So I I think it's a combination of the Cardinals being overly cautious. I think it's a larger trend of John Mazalock, the general manager, the president of baseball operations out here. A lot for most of his tenure, he hasn't really made that big move at the deadline to get the team into contention. I think the last time that happened, you have to go back to 2014 when they added John Lackey to the rotation. That kind of saved the season. But he, he's usually one to play it. I don't want to say safe, but to kind of sit on the sidelines and be cautious at the at the deadline, which there's benefit to that at times. But at some point you have to make that move. And especially when you spent, you know, all off season talking about going all in and we understand the importance of winning in 2019 to not add a starter at the deadline when your rotation was as big of a need and as big of a weakness as it is right now. I think it's organizational malpractice and it's a big risk that the Cardinals are taking right now. And I'm not sure. I think it's, it's almost too big of a risk to take because it could be the difference between playing in October or sitting at home for the fourth straight year. And I'm kind of curious uh, who you would have liked to see them go get. Uh, well, my number one uh, choice out of the guys that were available was Marcus Stroman, just because I feel like he's a good fit for what the Cardinals have in terms of their infield defense. They have one of the better infield defenses in the National League. And Marcus Stroman is a very good pitcher. He's also, he also, he's also a guy who uh, gets a lot of ground balls. So I felt like that would have played well with uh, the Cardinal strengths. Uh, I would have liked to see them go after Madison Bumgarner or Zach Wheeler if either were available. I I don't understand why they didn't make a more aggressive effort to pursue Zach Greinke. And there were some reports floating out there after the deadline that uh, St. Louis was one of the destinations that Greinke would have come to. He, he might have had some bad blood with you know Tony Larusa from way back when when Greinke was in Kansas City, but those days are long gone and. Granky would have been exactly the kind of top flight ace that the Cardinals lack right now, but it's, you know, it's the deadline is passed right now and the Cardinals don't have anything to show for it. And it's, it's frustrating to see a team that was all alone in first place at the time of the deadline. They basically sold, they, they gave Jed Jerko away to the Dodgers. And I know Jerko's had a hard time coming by playing time this season, but to not add a, a starter. It, it would have it would have been one thing if there just wasn't anything available out there. But there was a whole, basically, a whole shelf of starters out there at the trade deadline, and they got none of them. And it's it's frustrating to see, especially when you look around the National League and you see other contending teams added 
something in one way or another to try to get better, but the Cardinals did nothing. It's, it's just part of another, I think, disturbing trend with the way this organization does business. You know, and that's an interesting. I was just looking up, uh, looking at their their stats, and they do. They have the second lowest strikeout rate among starters in the National League, and the second highest ground ball rate. Uh, both of them behind the Rockies. So that would have made sense. You know, Stroman, like you said, Stroman's a ground ball pitcher, doesn't strike out a lot of guys. That seems to be the way they're constructing their team. But, yeah, I mean, even beyond having Wainwright as the third starter, you're rolling out Michael Walker every fifth day, and he's a negative war pitcher this year. It's You would think they'd try to make some sort of upgrade. And the, the, they started Michael Walker in the first game of the Dodgers series that they just wrapped up with getting swept, and it, and it started – just as predictably as you would have thought, Michael Walker got shelled and they got blown out in that game one. And there were a lot of you know fans sitting at home thinking, gee, is there any way this could have been prevented? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there was a trade deadline that you didn't participate in. But the, the, the rotation, as I mentioned, it's been a problem for the Cardinals all season long. All Cardinals starters, including Michael Walker, have an FIP of over four. And it's even worse on the road. They're com- the rotation as a whole has a combined ERA of 5.57 on the road, which is the worst wow. in the National League. And so I, I don't know what more evidence they need to go at a starter. And they just they were overly cautious or they just weren't willing to pay the price that they needed to pay to get a starter. And so now they're, they're banking on the rotation as is currently constructed, holding up for the remaining two months of the regular season. And I just don't think that's a safe bet to take, but we'll – We'll have to wait and see. Do you think it's possible they just looked at this team and, and thought, look, we're not really contenders, so there's no point in, in selling uh, or, or, or buying anybody and just, if we get lucky and make it to the playoffs, we'll, you know, maybe we'll try to add somebody via waivers. But, um, yeah, do you think they just looked at it and didn't think they were actually contenders? I, I think they looked at certain parts of the team and said there's nothing they can do. I I mean, there are fans who would say they should have added a bat, but with the contracts that they have with, you know, Matt Carpenter and Paul Goldschmidt and with them at the time, they were waiting on Marcelo Zuna to come back from injury. They thought, okay, the best thing for us to do is to just kind of bide our time and hope that the offense comes together. And there weren't a whole lot of bats out at the trade deadline anyway. So I think that's fine to not add a bat. And the bullpen actually has been kind of an unexpected strength for this team. It, It wouldn't have hurt to, add another reliever but it wasn't necessarily a need but when you look at the amount of starters that were out there I mean it's it's certainly possible that they looked around and said you know we're fine as it is or we're we're not a contending team but we also can't really sell either uh there are reports that they engaged the Mets on Zach Wheeler but the Mets wanted one of Tyler O'Neill or Harrison Bader in addition to a prospect for Wheeler to go to St. Louis and the Cardinals apparently thought that was too high of a price to ask for. So uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they just think, decided the best course of action is for us to kind of, you know, stay the course and just try to get to the end of the season. Hopefully it holds up. But I, I just think that there needs to be a heightened sense of urgency within this front office if they want to get back to October, because the way that they've done things, the way that they've used, they're used to doing things over the past few years it doesn't seem to be working anymore, and they, they have to change it up at some point if they want to get back to October, and they didn't do it this year, and it very well might come back to bite them for a fourth year in a row. And one of the things about this roster that's constructed, the way it's constructed, you have nine players that are drafted, developed within the system, 
You have Carlos Ma- Ma- uh, Martinez, who's the international free agent signing. Eight were trained by trades, and then you had four as, as free agents. And then the, the thing is about the free agents side of things, I will. I mean, you were just talking about the bullpen earlier, and you get a guy like Giovanni Gallegos. Gallegos, yeah. Gallegos, and he's been performing really well with and, and him and Andrew Miller have been holding down. And, and the, you're right, the bullpen has probably been a big reason why this team's over five – over 500 and contending and it's something that's re- refreshing because at least the Cardinals can be take a chance on somebody like that with a guy who has some pedigree with the Yankees beforehand and make him to a wool which unlike you know we the Tigers just signed Ryan David McKay who's got you know great like he's got a good strikeout inning ratio but he's pitching the PS PSL as you all know you know as Memphis is in the same league Numbers are crazy out there, so you don't trust it. But then you have 41, 43 innings pitched, 33 walks. Meanwhile, the Cardinals are able to get some guys off the scrap heap and able to make a make it part of their strength with their bullpen. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the, been the Cardinals' mo for almost since Bill Dewitt has owned the team in the mid nineties. Is where they say we're going to draft and develop better than anybody. We're going to breed a roster of homegrown talent. We're going to. We'll get a free agent here and there, but for the most part, the guys that you see in the Cardinals uniform that are performing are going to be guys that came up through the system. And Giovanni Gallegos uh, is a perfect example of that. He's he's a product of the Luke Voigt trade that sent Voigt to the Yankees last off season and, and or last season rather. And Voigt has been performing really well in the Bronx, and so people were kind of frustrated. How why isn't that happening here? But they got a quality asset return in Gallegos, and I, I really don't know where the Cardinals would be without him. And Andrew Miller may not be the dominant force that he was, you know, in Cleveland a few years ago, but the two of them combined with Carlos Martinez and John Gant in the back end of the bullpen, they have they really have held the fort down. The, the problem is if your rotation can't hold leads, it doesn't necessarily matter how good your bullpen is. So the Cardinals have been active on – the reliever market for the past two years, they threw contracts at uh, Brett Cecil and Greg Holland and Luke Gregerson. They, they retooled their bullpen almost at the drop of the hat, but on the other side of the coin, they, they don't do the same for the rotation. And it's not like they've always had to, they've had guys like Alex Reyes coming up through their system and and Jack Flaherty. And uh, then they bring in miles Michaelis, but the rotation that you see right now, I think is a product of the Cardinals, not giving the rotation the proper attention that it needs, be it through trades or free agent markets. They, it seems to me that they've been overly reliant on, you know, their own development staff, their own player development staff to develop these pitchers and the starters. And it just hasn't happened. So but this upcoming off season, I think will be really interesting for the Cardinals and what they do on the free agent market. Garrett Cole will be a free agent. Uh, I believe Zach Wheeler will as well. It'll be, It'll be interesting to see what they do, but for as great as the bullpen has been, and that they should be applauded for that, it's it's not really going to matter if uh, the rotation can't get its act together and if the rotation can't hold leads. You know, and one thing, you, you know, you mentioned we kind of from the outside we always, uh, I don't know, like kind of covet the random players that the Cardinals will somehow turn into good major leaguers like uh you know going back to like carpenter and matt adams Mm -hmm. and paul DeYoung and harrison bader and tommy edmund i don't know if he's any good but like these guys just seem to show up from out of nowhere they're they're not like top 100 prospects and then they have solid above average careers uh 
which you know it goes to the the scouting and development. But one thing I actually have heard is that the Cardinals are really kind of old school uh, in, in terms of. I think I I don't know where I heard it, but there was some somebody talking about how like 29 teams had embraced the TrackMan and the Edgertronic and the Repsoto and all these high speed cameras, and the one that hadn't was the Cardinals. Uh, and I don't know if you've heard anything like that, or if I'm completely off base. I don't think you're off base at all. I, in fact, I've heard something similar. Uh, for for a long time, the Cardinals were considered, you know, a smart, cutting edge organization. At least in the early 2000s, uh, they were one of the very first teams to embrace sabermetrics after Moneyball came out. And there was a report that ESPN did about, I, I think, six or seven years ago that rated the Cardinals as one of the most analytical teams in baseball. And that may have been true for a time, but. Right now, either they, their analytics are old or they just completely reverted back to old school. And I've, I've mentioned this uh, on the Cardinals Overtime podcast a couple times, but I think the the slow decline, and I, I'm using decline in quotes because I know you mentioned that there are some teams out there who would love to trade places with the Cardinals right now, but the slow decline in how the Cardinals have performed, I think can be traced back to 2011 when Jeff Luno left the Cardinals front office for Houston and now take a look at Houston and the behemoth that they are and they are arguably the most cutting edge organization in the sport right now whereas the Cardinals they're just trying to tread water and so I think it's it's easy to kind of connect the dots a little bit and say did the brains of the organization leave for Houston in 2011 and that was the last time the Cardinals have won the World Series and yes they've been for the most part they've been a very good team since then but they haven't been a championship team and is that because the talent that Leno that Leno isn't there to evaluate talent anymore is that because he and his staff are down in Houston doing the same things that they were doing in St. Louis I mean I'm not in the front office I don't know for sure but I definitely think that there is a larger discussion to be had and I definitely think there's validity to the idea that maybe the Cardinals are either old school or more old school than they should be in 2019 and that they may actually be behind the curve compared to the rest of baseball instead of ahead of it like they used to be. Yeah, and the, the one other thing, you know, I was looking at their farm system, and it, it's kind of, I guess, top-heavy, what you would say now. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to project. So Ozuna is basically the only free agent they lose, right? Basically, uh, uh, Adam Wainwright is going to be – Adam Wainwright will most likely retire, but uh, Marcel yeah. Zuna, yeah, he's he's the big free agent to be after this season, correct? And so, yeah, I wonder if they just were like, no, we're just going to plug Carlson right in. Dylan Carlson, their switch-hitting outfielder, uh, who's a guy I wanted the Tigers to target earlier in the season uh, before he blew up, but what are you going to do? Um, and it's certainly Cardinals probably didn't want to trade him for Matthew Boyd. Uh, and, but then, and then you got Nolan Gorman, who – was, uh, you know, he came out last year and was just gangbusters, you know, this great uh, third base, tons of power, and he's still doing what he's doing this year, but I, I'm curious if they just basically made those two guys untouchable, and then the rest of the system is, is just a little bit thin. You got Knizner or whatever, but maybe they want him to be uh, the heir apparent to Yadi Molina. So yeah, the, uh, maybe it, they were just handcuffed. That's that's pretty correct. Uh, the, the, they don't have a ton of... Uh, elite prospects in their system but the two guys that you have to keep in mind when you think of the cardinal system as you just mentioned are nolan gorman the the third baseman and then dylan carlson the outfielder and those are the two guys that the cardinals allegedly if you believe uh reporting in local media they did not want to part with in uh trades and 
Gorman was recently re- promoted to high A. He was the Cardinals' first-round draft choice last year and had a 1.17 OPS in uh, Johnson City, the, the rookie league team, before getting promoted. And he is the number 31 prospect in all of baseball. He's, he's rising quickly, and he has a ton of homers, but the problem with Gorman is that he his OPS is still relatively low. But having said that, and I, I still think it'll be another year before he kind of comes along, he could replace – Matt Carpenter at third base because Matt Carpenter has just absolutely fallen off a cliff this year and he doesn't even have a true defensive position. But Dylan Carlson, uh, if you talk to scouts, he, a lot of scouts say that he's actually the best overall player in their division. Now he's at a triple, uh, double A rather in, in Springfield. He can play the entire outfield. He's a switch hitter. And the thing with Dylan Carlson is the Cardinals seem all but certain that Marcelo Zuna is going to walk in free agency next year. That like it's depending on who you read, they may not even make an attempt to sign him, and that's partly because they're very confident in Dylan Carlson. He's near the top of the Texas League in most offensive categories, including home runs. He's got 18 right now. He's he's an exciting player, and uh, the other outfielder to keep an eye on is uh, I'm I'm going to butcher his name. I'm sure but Randy Arozarena, who is a 24-year-old outfielder. He's now in AAA Memphis. He's uh, batting 381. he He's been on an absolute tear this season. He's skyrocketed up the system. So there are fans who are wondering how soon can you, how much longer can you keep him stashed away in the minors with the way the outfield has been struggling with, you know, Marcelo Zuna coming back from injury. Uh, you mentioned Tommy Edmond earlier who uh, came out uh, on fire for about a week or two, but right now he's, he's still in every day can't hit anything right now so a lot of fans are wanting them to plug in randy and see what he can do but those are really the two big outfielders and then you got gorman the third baseman who are in the cardinals farm system but after that as you mentioned it's it's kind of thin and that didn't used to be the case i mean it it wasn't that long ago that the cardinals were uh, most scouts would agree had one of the most loaded farm systems in baseball but one by one all that talent you know graduated to the major leagues and now there's just not a whole lot to show for it except for Gorman and Carlson. But I, I think the odds of seeing Carlson on the big club are pretty good next year, assuming that uh, Ozuna leaves in free agency. And then we'll have to wait and see on Gorman and what happens with Matt Carpenter. And what's interesting, too, about Randy Orozara, and we, we, Chris and I have talked about him before a couple times. I think, Chris, didn't you want him <laughs> as a, a p- potential trade chip at some point? I felt like, I, felt like uh, no, I, I had uh, my uh, random trade was Boyd for Carlson and Montero, Alejeros Montero. Oh, I mean, that was, yeah, that okay. was a while back. Oh, maybe it was one. I, no, because I was thinking about that. Maybe I mentioned him because what's interesting is he's not on the 40-man roster, which kind of surprised me when I was doing my research. And the uh, the Cardinals are also kind of dipping a little bit internationally, too, with Johan Alavio, the, the other Cuban they signed, which is kind of struggling right now. But the, 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 one, the other prospect I really wanted to ask about, too, in addition, that as Chris was mentioning earlier, he's right. There is it's kind of top heavy, but they have some guys in terms of um, a, a guy who would left, left unprotected last year in the Rule Five draft. Now it's uh, Junior Fernandez, who's doing pretty well right now. Um, he's still kind of con- with issues with control, but talk about Fernandez and some of the other pitchers, and, and even somebody along the lines of um, I'm trying to think of uh, Cabr- uh, Cabrera too, who. Seems like he's Genesis? At, yeah, Gen- yeah, Genesis. Genesis Cabrera. Yeah, one Genesis, of Genesis, yeah. yeah. He throws very hard, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Yeah, and they got him over from the Tampa trade, and it seems like that's, that was something that gave him some instant depth quickly. 
Yeah, uh, Junior Fernandez actually, uh, his contract was just purchased by the St. Louis Cardinals a, a couple days ago, actually. And uh, Junior's a 22-year-old pitcher, and he has absolutely skyrocketed up the Cardinals farm system this year. And he's in the minor leagues total. He's got a combined ERA of 1.47, 76 strikeouts with 61 innings pitch, and that's across three minor league levels. And what makes him interesting, and I, I would suspect that the Cardinals are going to use him for bullpen help at this point, what makes him interesting is, unlike a lot of players that have been in the Cardinals pitching staff this year, he has an excellent fastball, and he really strikes guys out. And ever, ever since uh, Jordan Hicks went down earlier in the year with that elbow injury, the Cardinals really haven't had, you know, a flamethrower who, who can just go up there, be it in the ninth inning or a set of man, just, you know, boom, 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 strike guys out. So... Junior Fernandez will be will definitely be an exciting guy to watch. And then Penesis Cabrera, he comes over in the Tommy Pham trade with Tampa uh, last season that a lot of fans are still sour about. But he's been they've been giving him playing time, and he he does throw hard. And he's I think he's a quality reliever. I'm I'm not sure if he's necessarily worth giving up a player like Tommy Pham for. And I know that the Cardinals would certainly like to have fans back back in the lineup this year, but. Fernandez in particular is somebody I'd like to keep an eye on. And then their first round draft choice this year was a pitcher by the name of Zach Thompson out of uh, the university of Kentucky. He's, if I'm not mistaken, he's a right-handed pitcher and he was assigned to a single a. So uh, definitely somebody to keep an eye on. I think he's the only other top 100 prospect that the Cardinals have right now besides Gorman and Carlson. But that's, that's an idea of where the Cardinals pitching depth is right now. And actually for years, uh, Alex Reyes was near uh, the top of the top 100, top top 10, even top five prospects in all of baseball. But it's just one setback after another with him. And then actually just before we started recording, uh, it was announced that he suffered another setback with his shoulder and his, his season's going to be done. So I, I hate it for Alex Reyes because he's got electric stuff and fans have been anticipating his arrival for so long. We And we've seen glimpses of what he can do. He's... He's a dynamic pitcher when he's healthy, but it's it's hard to say what his future holds in this organization, if he'll even be here next year. But uh, it's you just hate to see that happen to a guy as talented as Alex Reyes. But hopefully Junior Fernandez offers uh, some relief in that regard. Yeah, I remember Fernandez and uh, and was Sandy Alcantara, I think, just both popped yes. up out of nowhere a couple of years ago in, in uh, complex leagues, both throwing like 100. And so... It's kind of interesting to see. I thought Alcantara had kind of lapped him, but, uh, you know, development isn't linear, and these guys can pop up at any time. Uh, right. the one, other, yeah. one other thing I wanted to ask you was about, uh, was about Paul Goldschmidt, because that was the, you know, the big trade and the sign, uh, what they signed him to an extension. Uh, and then he, what, he hit like eight home runs in seven games uh, recently. But, uh, but I'm curious how, how fans are taking to him uh, overall, because the season's been a little bit down. Yeah, so uh, he... Paul Goldschmidt was obviously the big acquisition of the Cardinals offseason. There was there was speculation uh, heading into the winter meetings. Oh, are they going to get Bryce Harper? Are they going to get Manny Machado? Obviously, neither of those things happened. But, you know, Paul Goldschmidt, pretty good consolation prize. I mean, he's one of the best first basemen in the National League. He had been up until this season. And for most of the first half, aside from one series against Milwaukee to start the year, he was, I mean, he was downright awful. And he his uh, WRC plus I believe was in the eighties, but he's recently started to uh, find his stroke again. And as you mentioned, he hit about eight home runs in seven games. And right now he's probably the best bat they've had in the lineup, but 
fans, I would say, are a little concerned about that extension. And I, I understand why the Cardinals did it, because they they obviously think very highly of Paul Goldschmidt as a player, but he's on he's going to be in the declining stages of his career as he gets uh, higher into his 30s. But the bat should still play. Uh, the question becomes, will he be able to, will his defense hold up and how well will his bat play and have the Cardinals just, you know, Pay, have they basically paid for what he did in Arizona and now they're getting his declining years in St. Louis as a result? But to answer your question, I think fans are warming up to him more and more, especially as he's he's finally starting to look like the the player that the Cardinals uh, envisioned themselves trading for when they got him from Arizona. But it's been it's certainly been a slow process. And fans, when they when they got him, they thought, oh, this is going to be the best first baseman we've had since Albert Pujols. Well, a little ways to go for him for that to be the case. But he, he's starting to come into his own, and he seems he seems to be enjoying his time in St. Louis above all else. So I think he'll enjoy it here, and I, I think if he can stay on his game, the fans will like him. But it's it's been a process, to say the least. Yeah, and for the and for the Cardinals too, it's it's to have that kind of uh, franchise guy, franchise person you can put out there, and almost like uh, as we kind of circle back to end the podcast, the end of the segment, really Mark McGuire and, and have a, a fan like that or a presence like that. Not to mention, I mean, one of the things before we let you go, Mike, I, we talked about Chris and I have kind of joked about this, and I've joked about this with my friends for all my baseball friends is the Cardinal St. Louis fan Cardinal IQ. And, it seemed, and I've had friends who went down the games, and I mentioned this earlier, fans seem engaged and they know their baseball. And no matter what, crowds are out there all the time. Right now we watched, we witnessed a game today where maybe less than 5,000, Chris. I mean, I don't know. It was, I didn't see a lot of people yeah. there. It was day game against the White Sox with uh, one of the worst teams in Tigers history. Not going to get uh, a big, it's not a big walk-up crowd for that one. <laughs> yeah. And even with, even in, even when in the mid nineties, when the Colonels kind of fell back a little bit, uh, and then from the eighties, it, it seemed like the fans were always uh, still present. And Mike, talk about that. It seems like this, the, the blues win the Stanley cup, huge, big for the city, big for the state of Missouri. You have Missouri football actually somewhat competing in the SEC, but it always seems like the Cardinals are the the steady guy through the night, if you will. Uh, 100%. And that I, I grew up in St. Louis. I'm going to be moving back to the area in a couple of weeks, and I'm excited about it. But if you, if you ever get the chance to uh, come down to a game in St. Louis, uh, right across the street from Bush Stadium is the Cardinals Hall of Fame and Museum in the Ballpark Village building. And that alone is worth seeing, even if the Cardinals are in town. But when you walk into the Hall of Fame, there's a quote on the wall. If I'm not mistaken, it's from Carlos Beltran. Or it, Carlos Beltran or Tony LaRusso, one of the two. And it says, in St. Louis, baseball is first, baseball is second, baseball is third. And that's, that's absolutely correct. Baseball is, the baseball culture in St. Louis is unlike anything that I have ever seen anywhere else. And I, even I tend to kind of roll my eyes at the best fans in baseball label. But I will say this, these people truly understand the game. And these, pe and these people really love their Cardinals. And even when the team isn't, you know, a World Series contender, every summer they are filling the seats at Bush Stadium, going through the turnstiles, the Cardinals. I, they always draw over 3 million fans to Bush Stadium. And for me growing up, and I'm sure this is true with a lot of people who uh, grew up across the Midwest, your summer was 
listening to Jack Buck on the radio or you were in one of those seats of Bush Stadium with, you know, a Coke in one hand or if you're 21, a Budweiser in one hand watching the Cardinals. And it's it's ingrained in the culture and everybody, every kid playing Little League Baseball dreams of one day being a hero for the Cardinals. And that's that's what made the David Freeze story in 2011 when he hit that walk-off home run in Game 6. That's what made it so special because he grew up in suburban St. Louis. He grew up a Cardinals fan and doing all the things that uh, we normally do in Little League Baseball. He got to live out the dream. But the Cardinals are woven into the fabric of the city. And as I was, I was at the Blues Championship Parade, it was unlike anything I've ever experienced. And as joyful as that was and as awesome as that was, I, I still think that baseball will always be the number number ones in this town and it's a beautiful ballpark you you look out you get a shot of the st louis skyline when you're at a game uh the cardinals are usually pretty good when you're there so if you're if you're making a list of ballparks to visit definitely come down to bush stadium and experience just the the vibe the baseball culture for yourself because it there i don't i really don't think there's anything else like it anywhere in major league baseball I, yeah, and in every crowd, and just even the, the beat writers have this great reputation to it. So, um, and also one of the cool things that I saw earlier in the in the month was you guys are having a Star Trek theme night, and it's one of the coolest hats they have. The Star Trek <laughs> insignia, the Star Trek insignia, Chris is in the middle, and they have the St. Louis on the right, and it's the red. And it, dude, I, I'm telling you, I, I I collect fitted hats. And I have a couple of Cardinals hats because uh, my son's baseball team, my little league, my son's baseball team was the Cardinals, and I always had the St. Louis was kind of my national league team, if you will, when the Tigers were struggling in the '90s. So, but mm-hmm. uh, this has been this has been awesome. You can find Mike at Mike Double Underscore Bauer. He is the writer at the St. Louis Bullpen. You can follow him. You can find his articles there, and the host of the Cardinals Overtime Podcast here on the Overtime Media Network, and. Great follow and great conversation. We hope to have you in again on soon, Mike. Thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I enjoyed it.